to invite you to take your Bible to uh, the Gospel of John. We'll be at a couple of different places in the Gospel of John, uh, specifically chapters uh, 13 through 17. There'll be uh, three specific texts we look at this morning, and we'll give you plenty of time to get there, but we'll be in, again, John's Gospel as we continue to think through this series that I've titled Relationships, which focus on the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, the last conversation that he'll have with them as a group before he goes to the cross in the upper room, and as he shares with them a number of things in that whole time they spent together, which covers John 13 through 17, he specifically helps them understand how they are to relate to various things that they will encounter, various people that they will encounter. And so today we're going to look at the relationship that Jesus wants his followers to have with the world. Now, at the outset, it's very vitally important that we understand what the world means. And we also need to grasp this truth that, that the, the world, it really all depends on the context. It means different things specifically depending upon what the context is. It could mean the literal earth that God created. It could mean the uh, people who are in the world. It could refer in some context to uh, the, the sea of humanity that is opposed to God and that has rejected God. Or it could refer to uh, this system of thought or this philosophy that those who stand opposed to God have that are uh, opposite of what God would have for us to believe. It's, uh, again, context is key. When, when Scripture talks about the earth being destroyed or the world being destroyed, that's the literal earth. When, when it tells us that God so loved the world. That's not the, the physical world. That's talking about the people in the world. When the Bible talks about the, 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 the world hating followers of Jesus, that's a, a reference to that philosophy or that mindset and those who have that philosophy who are opposed to God. So as we understand the context of the world, and, and we'll try to understand as we move along this morning, it's, it's equally important for us to understand uh, our relationship with that world. You see, when you are a sinful person, when you are a sin-loving person, and when you live in a sin-filled world, there is no tension between you and that world. But when Jesus transforms you, when Jesus changes you, when he becomes your Lord and Savior, that relationship creates a tension between you and the fallen world in which you live. See, our citizenship is changed. We are changed internally. Our status is changed eternally, but we still have to live externally in this world. Paul talked about how in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ has transferred us from a domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He talks in Philippians about how our citizenship is now in heaven. So here we are as followers of Jesus living in a fallen world and it's imperative that we have the right relationship with the world. But see, what happens, as in any relationship, 
is that it becomes very easy to live at the extremes. In fact, I want to show you the, the, uh, w- w- one picture or a diagram. Yeah, throw that first slide up on the next, uh, next slide. Uh, a diagram of how believers tend to interact with the world. We're kind of on this seesaw, on this pedal, we're on this, uh, on this uh, swing to where we uh, sometimes, there's some people who come down on what I will call isolation. And that is, man, you just completely withdraw from the world. You, you want to have nothing to do with the world. You don't get around the people who are in the world. And you completely isolate yourself so that the only people that you hang around with are people who are also Christians. And that's not bad. It's good to hang around. I like most people who follow Jesus. And um, it's, it's, that's not a bad thing. But that doesn't need to be the only relationships that we have. But there are some who will live on that isolation side, and, and, and they just are completely separate from everything around them. But on the other end of the spectrum, on the other side of that seesaw, you've got what I call saturation. Okay, so one side you got isolation, on the other side you got saturation, and saturation, that's when, man, you're, you're just living all in the world, and there's no difference between you and the world. I mean, you think like the world thinks, you act like the world acts, you do what the world does, there, there's no difference. Now, I think both of those, and I, I believe I'll show you this morning, both of those ends of that spectrum are inaccurate. They are not what God's called us to do. God has not called us to isolation. He, he has not called us to saturation. Instead, God has called us to transformation. God has called us to live in this world for the purpose of making his name known. And I believe that when Jesus speaks these words that he speaks to the disciples, he helps us understand what that means. We're going to look at three passages. I'm going to read the passages. And collectively, they teach us three realities about our relationship with the world And these are realities that we must accept and that we must adjust to these realities if we're going to have a right relationship with the world. John chapter 15. We'll first look at John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. John 15, verse 18, Jesus speaking, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that uh, no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Okay, now let's jump to the next chapter, John chapter 16, two verses, verses 32 and 33. All right, John 16, verse 32, Jesus speaking. Behold, the hour is coming, and it is come, 
when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then look in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. Just write down the next chapter, John 17, 14. Jesus speaking once again. I have given them your word. He's praying to the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask, <coughs> excuse me, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, looking at those, and those are the three main texts in the, the, this upper room discourse where he deals, <clears throat> Jesus deals with our relationship with the world. Taking all that into context, three realities we need to face and, and accept and adjust our lives to today. Reality number one is this. We will encounter difficulty in this world. Okay, the reality is we will encounter difficulty in this world. The experience of tribulation is something that followers of Jesus will not escape. In fact, it is guaranteed by Jesus himself. He said in 1520, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. He said in 1633, in the world you will have tribulation. Now, the difficulty that Jesus promises in this, uh, the, this text is more than our experience with the quote-unquote normal ups and downs of life. He's talking about more trouble than, than sickness or financial difficulties or, or some kind of loss. Specifically, Jesus is referring to difficulty that is directed toward the follower of Jesus by the world because of the relationship that that follower of Jesus has with Jesus Christ himself. You see, this world cannot oppress God. And to prove it to you, have you ever gotten to, anyone ever gotten to an argument with God? I have. I've argued with God about some things that he was calling me to do, and I said, nah, 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 ain't going to work. And I want you to guess how many times I've won. <laughs> Not a narrow one. Zip, zilch. See, the, the, the world, and if I can't do that as his follower, the world certainly can't oppress God, so they oppress God's people. The, the world can't oppose God, so they oppose God's people. The world cannot devalue God, so they seek to devalue the people of God. The world cannot punish God, so they will seek to punish the people of God. We are, as followers of Jesus, we are the tangible targets of the world's hatred. And this is a fact that we oftentimes overlook, especially in our comfortable uh, Western civilized existence. Following Jesus, really following Jesus, is not easy. That's why Jesus told us, 
Count the cost before you make the commitment. Know that it's going to cost something to follow me. Of these 11 disciples, I know there were 12, we're not counting Judas. Of these 11 disciples, 10 of them were martyred. The only one who wasn't was John, and the reason he wasn't murdered wasn't for a lack of trying. They, they tried to boil him alive in a vat of oil, but he would not die, so they kicked him out and caused him to live in exile on an island called Patmos. These are men who paid the price to follow Jesus. This is one of the main reasons I have absolutely zero respect and will oftentimes loudly decry the quote-unquote prosperity gospel and those who preach it. The idea of difficulty only coming to those who were doing something wrong or the idea that following Jesus guarantees health, wealth, and success, that is more than just another gospel. That is anti-gospel. It goes against the very message of the gospel. The gospel centers on an innocent man dying. Soap, meat, box. But I'll step off it. Suffice it to say that when Jesus lets us know that we're going to have difficulty as we encounter this world, that is the reality we must be willing to accept. That's the relationship that we're going to have with this world. You see, Jesus explained that the world is going to hate those who follow him because they hated Jesus. See, in choosing to follow Jesus, we no longer follow the world. We may be in the world, but we are no longer of the world, and the world will treat the followers of Jesus with difficulty because that's how the world treated Jesus. At least three times in this text, Jesus said, that the world will hate his followers because we are not of the world just as he is not of the world. There is to be a difference in us. We're not to live saturated lives. There's to be a difference in our lives, and that difference will cause difficulty. This reality should cause us to look at our hearts and to ask ourselves, are we really prepared to follow Jesus, even if it cost us something and causes tribulation? This reality should cause us to look at our lives and ask if we're really living differently from this world that hates the followers of Jesus, because that is the reality. We will encounter difficulty as we live in this world. Here's the second reality. We must participate in the mission of God in this world. If you're going to have the right relationship with the world that Jesus discusses in this upper room discourse, then you must participate in the mission of God in this world. God's mission is to redeem that which is broken, to seek and to save that which is lost. God's desire is to see every person, regardless of their gender, regardless of, uh, of where they are in life, regardless of their past, regardless of their political affiliation, God's desire is to see every person come into a relationship with Him. And if we choose 
choose to ignore this mission of God, we are ignoring the heart of God himself. Notice the prayer of Jesus in chapter 17 and verse 15. I'll remind you of it. He said, I do not ask that you take them, his followers, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus, don't miss this, he makes a specific request to leave his followers in this world after their conversion, even if leaving them here in the world means that they experience that first reality, difficulty in the world. Our purpose, my conclusion then, our purpose must be more than just getting to heaven. God's purpose is not just to get us to heaven. God's purpose is to get heaven into us. To cause us to live not for right now only, but to live with our eyes focused on eternity. And when heaven is in us, instead of us just being concerned about getting to heaven, then the mission of God becomes personal and we become consumed with that mission. We don't have to wonder what that mission is. He tells us in chapter 17, verse 18, he says to his father, Father, just as you sent me into this world, so I have sent them. I'm sending my followers into this world. As as plain as day, Jesus is saying, we are not sent out of the world, not isolation, nor are we sent alongside the world, not saturation. We are sent into the world for the purpose of transformation. That word sent is a postello. It means that someone has been ordered to go to an appointed place. Don't miss it. We are sent into the world by the Father in the same pattern as Jesus. How was Jesus sent? Jesus was sent to a specific place for specific people for a specific purpose as it was with Jesus. Jesus, so it is with us. We are sent to a specific place. God has put us where he wants us to be. We we live in our neighborhoods by God's divine plan. We are around the people we're around by God's sovereignty. He has sent us to a specific place. He sent us to specific people. God has put people in your life, and some of those people are there, and the only reason they're there is that God wants to use you for one purpose, introducing them to Jesus. That is his mission. That's him getting heaven into us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And Christ gave us the followers of Jesus. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation, not relaxation, but of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And in 
entrusting to us not just the ministry, but also the message of reconciliation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul said, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, God making His appeal through us, God making His appeal through you. Ladies and gentlemen, if it's going to get done, it's going to get done by people like me and you. There is no plan B for God's mission. We are it. And if we don't do it, we failed in our relationship with the world. Remember back in January of 2020, about six years ago, <clears throat> I, can't even, I used to like the show 2020 because I'm like my grandparents in that way now. I can't even like the show anymore because it's 2020. <clears throat> Hindsight's going to have to become 2019. But remember back in 2020 when we initiated this thing called Who's Your One? Remember that? And we said, everybody, find at least one person that you're going to pray for, you're going to invest, you're going to engage, you're going to invite, you're going to share the gospel with them before 2020 is done. And then that little pandemic came up and it kind of threw a, a, a wrench in every plan that we ever thought about having. But I want you to know that a pandemic does not excuse us from our responsibility with the gospel. Okay, when things come up that we don't expect, we can't go, okay, well, I'm off the hook. That's why I said it's not a ministry of relaxation. It's not our job to get saved and then sit in our rocking chair waiting for Jesus to take us to heaven in the sweet by and by pie in the sky. And that's why, and just put you on notice now, that uh, as we get closer to Easter, you're, you're going to be reintroduced to who's your one 2.0. And we're going to get right back to where we were when we started 2020 in that regard, to where we're going to be challenged to identify one person that God has put in our life for this purpose, for this mission, to be sent into the world and to pray for them and to invest in their lives, to engage them, and to invite, to share the gospel with them. So go ahead and get ready. If you thought that that was an initiative, you were going to, no, it's, you're going to see it again, and we're going to push you and push you hard to get re-engaged, because this is the mission of God. This is the purpose of Jesus. This is the right relationship we are to have with the world. We must participate in the mission of God. Is that easy? Absolutely not. Is that difficult? You better believe it. Is it frustrating? You bet. Can I ask you this question? I'm going to go a little off script, a little dangerous to do that. Have you ever, but I'll, I'll tie it to the last point in just a second. Have you ever been going through this world and you just get tired? I mean, you know what God's called you to do and you want to do it. Man, things start happening. People start dying. Valleys start appearing. Events you didn't anticipate start happening. Pandemics come through. Vicious, ungodly politicians get involved. And by ungodly, I mean both sides. 
You may follow a donkey, you may follow an elephant, I'm following a lion of the tribe of Judah, king. And capitals get attacked, and you just get tired. What keeps us pushing forward? In, in light of our responsibility to that second reality, and as we try to do that, living with that first reality, how do we persevere? I'm very glad you asked because it's reality number three. Third reality. Because of a living Savior, we have a hope that is beyond this world. The reality of difficulty may cause us to wonder if there is any hope, is there any encouragement, and Jesus loudly and boldly <coughs> declares that it is in John 16. Again, I remind you of those two verses, verse 32 and verse 33. This is what Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. You're going to desert me, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but but take heart, I have overcome the world. Though abandoned by the disciples, Jesus was still connected to his Father as it was with him, so it is with us. Last week, the, the relationship with the Holy Spirit, God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But I want you to look at Jesus' words. Jesus' words in verse 33 of John 16. I have overcome the world. That word overcome means to carry off to victory. It means to come off victorious. When Jesus proclaims, I have overcome the world, it's a bizarre statement because he makes it at a bizarre time. He has yet to go to the cross. He has yet to go to the tomb. He is proclaiming the truth of his victory, which is amazing considering that he's about to experience difficulty. He's about to be arrested and forsaken and rejected and mocked and ridiculed and tortured and killed. And yet he says, I have overcome the world. I have the victory. And notice this victory does not hinge on me. This victory does not hinge on you. This victory does not hinge on us. It hinges on Jesus. Jesus doesn't speak about the disciples' victory, but his victory. And Jesus knew that the victory would be theirs because the victory was his. I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to have hope today, even in this broken world. Jesus has overcome the world in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. Jesus went to the cross not in fear, not in gloom. He went already as a victor. He overcame the world when no one else had ever overcome it. And knowing this truth, knowing that Jesus had 
has overcome. That is what enables us to take heart. Knowing that Jesus has overcome is the foundation of the peace that we have in him. We see that Jesus is in control. We see that although he leaves, he does not abandon. We see that victory is his, and if victory is his, then victory is mine. That's why I heard an old, old story about how a Savior came from glory. I heard about how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning, that I repented of my sin and won the victory. I heard about his healing, of his precious cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again, and he calls the blind to see. And then I cried, dear sweet Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. And so I heard about a mansion that's been built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I will sing up there his song of victory. And that song's very simple. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him because he plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. We have victory and we have hope. That is the relationship that we must have with this world to know that the victory's already been won. And it may not look like it. And when we walk through valleys, we may not feel like it. That's where faith comes in. But I need you to know this morning the future of this world. 1 John 2, 17 tells us this. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For those of us who are here today and we're seeking to follow Jesus and we have a relationship with him, let's evaluate our relationship with this world. Are you prepared to endure difficulty as a follower of Jesus? As you live in this world, are you engaged in the mission of God? If you this morning find yourself discouraged in this world, look up and take heart. And find your hope in Jesus. But if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know this truth. This world is your home if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And it is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. Your best day on this earth 
which that best day, that bestness, that awesomeness, we can make up words this morning as well. It was temporary. It was here one day and gone the next. This is it. If you don't know Jesus, this world is as close to heaven as you're getting. And who would want that? You see, the greatest tragedy, and I've said it numerous times standing right here, and I'll say it numerous more, the greatest tragedy that will ever be known is that every single person who's in hell not a single one had to go not a one they all could have been redeemed has there been a time in your life when you confessed your sin to Jesus you offered repentance you you asked Jesus to change your heart's attitude towards sin and you simply called out to him to be your savior in prayer there's no magic words there's no magic prayer to say it's it's you conversing with God saying something along the lines of Lord I know I'm a sinner I I confess my sins to you I desire God for you to change my heart forgive my sins and I want to follow you I want to accept this free gift of salvation you offer to me something as simple as that meant from the heart activates the forgiveness and redemption of God. In just a second, we're just going to bow our heads. Our, our invitation is going to consist of a half minute of silence to where we're just sitting before God. And when you sit before God, you forget that I'm here. You forget everybody's here. You forget people are around you and you realize it's just you and God. If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you need to ask God to help you with in your relationship with the world? Maybe you've gotten a little cold and stale in that who's your one and and maybe it's time for you to ask God to begin to burden your heart for that one that he's put in your life for that purpose. Or maybe if you've never placed faith in Jesus, you would spend this time in prayer doing just that. Just for 30 seconds, your head bowed, your eyes closed. Let's each and every one of us individually do business with God. you did that business with God, if you made a decision for Jesus, if you decided there is a step you need to take, we'd love to celebrate that decision with you and help you in that decision. And at the pew in front of you, there's a yellow next step card, and you can take just a couple minutes and complete that card to let us know the decision, the step that you made. If you made that decision to pray and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we certainly want to celebrate that with you. When you leave here today, if you made that decision, whatever step you made, just drop that in the offering receptacles as you leave out today, and, and we'll have uh, be able to, to communicate with you this week and, and follow up with you and, and help you take that next step. Uh, to our